0: Hello, I'm Philip Shepard. I'm the author of two books, Radical Wholeness and New Self, New World. And I also developed the Embodied Present Process, which is a modality I teach around the world that helps people reconnect with the intelligence of their bodies. And what I'd like to share with you today is really the story of how my story began. It's a story of a bicycle trip. And I should explain, I, I think I was born an eluthromaniac, and that's a word I made up. But what it means is someone with a mania for freedom. I'm just hypersensitive to whatever compromises my being or hems me in or diminishes me. And, of course, I know that anything that has that effect on me isn't working on me from the outside, but from the inside. Those limitations are part of me. They live within me. I'm also aware that many of those limitations were ones that I learned from my culture. And the way I understand a culture is that it's a story made up of Language and customs and hierarchies, myth, architecture, and taken all together, those elements communicate to us a story of what it means to be human. They tell you what is right and wrong, polite, impolite, up, down, important, dispensable, successful, or a failure. And I, as a teenager, felt the adults in my world were living a sort of fantasy. And it's a fantasy that kept them from living their innermost truth. And they were basically inviting me to join that fantasy and become successful in it. And every cell of my being fought against that. But I came to realize, of course, that I'm a product of my culture. And I would ultimately capitulate to my culture if I didn't leave it. So I did. I went to England from Canada, bought a bicycle, and headed off for Japan. The, the only real planning I did was, was a principle that, that said, if you get on the bike and keep pedaling, and you're headed in the right direction, and you don't stop pedaling, you'll get there. And I was 18, and that seemed not at all unreasonable to me. When I took off, in all honesty, I didn't wholly expect to return alive. But I knew that a part of me would die if I stayed. So, the thing about being on a bike is that you're wide open to the world, which is what I wanted. It's smells, it sounds, the wind and sky and rain and people. And there are so many different ways of feeling the world. On a bicycle, you're not in a capsule moving through the world. You, are, you belong to it and you adapt to it. And on that bike, I went through so many ways of understanding what it means to be human. And each one of them was luminous. And each one of them was limited. And I slept outside the whole way uh, without a tent. You know, I realized, well, if, if you're in a tent, everyone knows where you are. And you don't know where anyone else is. And there was this quality of would happen as I'm traveling along on the bike and the sun is beginning to set and dusk is taking hold and I would need to find a place to sleep. And in fact, my life depended on it being a safe place to sleep. And there was an attunement or a sensitivity that clued me in or attuned me to a guidance and I really palpably felt it that way as a guidance that led me every night to a place where I could safely sleep. And I, I did spend every night outside in strange countries safely without being disturbed. The memories of that bike trip flood me when I go back to it you know I I was on the coast of Yugoslavia once right by the Adriatic Sea and the world was so quiet that I had to whisper into the spaciousness around me just to just to feel the possibility of sound I uh I worked for a week on a little Arab cargo boat with a crew of three and a cargo of peanuts and potatoes. And I was uh, in the harbor of Famagusta off the coast of Cyprus. And I lived with these guys and learned so much from them. And I remember the delight of breakfast in the morning was sitting on the deck, looking out over the Mediterranean, eating this breakfast of olives and bread, which was, of course, a novelty for me at the time. There was, um, there was an infinity to the sky over the great Syrian desert. No humidity in the air, and every single star like a like a pinpoint of light and this vastness above. I I spent a night in a ghetto in Baghdad. These students from the university had met me and invited me to stay with them. And, you know, as I walked, the only thing I owned in the world was my bike, and I wholly depended on it. As I walked into this ghetto, they could see I was a little concerned and they asked me about it. And I said, well, I I was a little worried about leaving my bike. And they said, oh, no, don't don't worry about that. If if someone steals something here, we cut off his hands, which, as you can imagine, made me feel a lot better. And and truly in the morning when I went to my bike to uh, pick it up, it hadn't been touched. I spent a. I spent a while with a, a theater troupe in the south of India, a Kathakali troupe. And I followed them around and loved their performances, which began with the setting of the sun and ended with the rising of the sun. They went on all night long. And before the performances, um, they would gather and have a dinner, and they invited me to share dinner with them. And my plate was a palm leaf, and the food was in the middle, and and we were you know, jostling and talking there are no boundaries anywhere it was just this communion of food and conversation and it's such a stark contrast to the culture in which i was raised where you have your chair and your placemat and your space and god help you if if you want the salt, you're not allowed to reach through Sally's space to get it. No, you have to say, Sally, would you please pass me the salt? And she conveys it safely through her space, and then you can receive it in your space and use it. It's, it's, it's such a contrast to the exuberant sharing that I felt with that Kath Kali troop. There were, there were times, like I would, in India, I'd fall asleep at night and, you know, just, just across the field was a village and I'd hear them singing and playing music and I'd fall asleep to all that life happening. And, and there was a time where I, I was in Japan and, and followed this little path up a hillside and found a little lean-to in the woods that someone had built and had used and I spent the night there. There were were so many things that I adapted to and learned and took into my body. And the only time in that whole trip that I suffered culture shock was when I came home. And suddenly this deeply familiar realm in which I'd grown up was bizarre and arbitrary And that that culture shock is really what I had left to find. The most difficult thing in the world is to question what is normal, to question what you've grown up with since, since infancy. So I began to question the very limitations and constrictions and constraints that lived within my body. And I asked those questions and pursued them for the next three decades. And those questions led to the writing of my two books, Radical Wholeness and New Self, New World. And those questions led to the workshops that I teach around the world. And it all all was made possible by that life or death bike trip, where if I leave, I might never come home, but if I stay, I might lose myself altogether. So there are two questions I've been invited to entertain. What have I learned about myself by sharing my story? I think what strikes me most is how deeply The memories of that bike trip 40 years ago still live within my body I can still feel those stars over the great Syrian desert I can smell the pine forest in Japan I can feel the corners I turned around on my bike it's all there still known by my body and the other question I've been invited to ponder is what is my biggest dream, I went through so much to find my freedom to undo the neurology of my culture, which tells me that the head should be in charge and the body is a dumb beast. And all of its, all of its values that diminish feeling and exalt reason, it took me so long to come back to my freedom of being, to, to the vibrant, attuned intelligence of my body. And so I guess my biggest dream is that I can share with as many as people as possible what I learned about that journey back to the body, a journey that began when I hopped on my bike And took off for Japan. We all have a story to share and a voice that is meant to be heard. And we want to share yours. For more information and to get involved, visit storiesofinspiringjoy.com. Stories of Inspiring Joy is a production of Seek the Joy Media and created by Sydney Weiss. You can find all episodes on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. And if you like the show, hit subscribe, leave us a rating and review, and follow along on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. We're creating greater connection and community, one powerful story at a time.